Hey everybody, welcome to episode 172 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas after an epic weekend in Atlanta cheering on for the Olympic Marathon Trials. Today is going to be all about the trials and we have special guest Kara Goucher coming on shortly to help me recap the weekend and then I'll be finishing things off giving you five quick hit lessons for your own training, your own racing that I think were on display this weekend in Atlanta. So lots to talk about because it was an amazing weekend of events. I'll break it all down with Kara shortly. Before we get there, I wanted to quickly mention that for those that love our podcast content and want to support what we're doing with the podcast, we are now up on Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash rogue running and support if you'd like. Certainly no requirement there, but if you like what you hear and want to support what we're doing, then you can now do that via Patreon, which is a site to help support and promote those that are providing free content and a lot of different avenues. So you can check it out again, patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash rogue running. I will include that link in the show notes and we've got four different potential tiers that you can buy into to help support what we're doing and help me expand what I'm doing with the podcast. There's a $2 a month tier, a $5 a month tier, a $25 a month tier, and then I have a fourth level of $250 a month tier. All of those levels come with different benefits, including that last one, getting you private consults with me if you'd like to opt in for that. So four different levels to support and four different ways to plug into other content that that I've created or will be creating. So go check that out at patreon.com forward slash rogue running. And the first 100 people that jump on with us through Patreon will get a cool rogue magnet that will ship to you. So go check that out, patreon.com forward slash rogue running. Beyond that, let's jump in. I was in in Atlanta from Friday to yesterday. It was about 48 hours of time, but man, jam-packed with so many things. Amazing, crazy races that I'm sure many of you follow along with. And if you look at that, the top six, the three Olympians on each side, there were probably five of those that weren't amongst the favorites. So a lot of interesting storylines to talk about to break down and I will break it all down now and we'll do that with the great Kara Goucher who was also in Atlanta cheering so with that let's talk about it with Kara here we go welcome Kara to the running rogue podcast how are you doing today I'm doing good Chris thanks for having me (laughs) thanks for coming on I know that today is a is a tough day because of a very busy weekend. I can hear a little bit in your voice. How are you feeling? I feel good. I had so much fun. I'm so glad I went. Like I didn't know how I would feel like emotionally and stuff, but I, you know, yelled my voice out. It was totally worth it. And um, yeah, it was really fun. (laughs) It was the, it was a crazy about 36 hours there Saturday to uh, early morning. (laughs) on Sunday for you. Uh, Give me some overall impressions from the weekend, just overall impressions as you think about the last couple of days. 
Yeah, you know, I felt like we had our clean sport um, meetup run, and that really gave me a lot of hope for the future of the sport. I felt like people, there were so many people there, like I couldn't actually believe how many people were there. Like when I showed up, I thought, oh my gosh, we must have planned our run at the same exact time as some other huge group. <laughs> um, and so that was like really encouraging to me. Um so that kind of like a Friday, I didn't know how I felt. I felt a little confused, like seeing a bunch of people try out their alpha flies. I felt like really conflicted. And I was like feeling like maybe I shouldn't have come here. This might not be like a healthy place for me to be. And then we had our run meetup, which was amazing. It put me in the best mood. And then I got to watch the race, which was like every emotion you could possibly think of. And then of course, we had our Wazelle party, which is amazing. And then I closed out the night with Des Linden. So it was pretty epic. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally epic. Yeah. So let's talk about this, the, the clean sport run. You showed up, you got emotional as you walked up because of all the people. I was kind of in the same boat as you. I'm like, wait, early? And I got there maybe 20 minutes early. And I thought, surely these people aren't already lining up to do this thing with us. And sure enough, they were, by my count, as I was looking at the pictures in the video, we had all, over 400 people there. I mean, it was just absolutely nuts. Great energy. Everybody wanted their picture with you. Um, so cool. And it made me realize that what we're doing really matters and it's resonating with people. How did it make you feel? Yeah, very similar. Like, you know, we do the podcast and we get great, great feedback, but to like physically see people standing there and, and wanting to talk and, and thanking you and, um, you know, I, I was just shocked. I mean, you and I had talked, remember, and we were like, how many people do you think would be good? And you're like, I don't know if we get like 30 or 40 people, that'd be good. And, and I was like, I'm competitive. So I was like, well, if we get 50 people, that'll be good. Um, and when I, I had a hard time getting there because I had to wait like eight minutes for an elevator in my hotel, I was in the meat hotel. And when I got there, I was like, what the heck? Like, is this for us? Like, I thought, oh my, like my initial thought was like, oh my gosh, we scheduled it. And like Atlanta track club is having some meetup, you know, and right. we're, we're idiots. Like we were like, let's meet at the Olympic rings, like every other meetup. Um, <laughs> but they were there to meet us. And it was just crazy. It really, like I said, I had had really conflicting emotions the day before. And I was like, not really sure if, if I should really be there. Um, and it just completely turned my entire experience there around. Yeah, we couldn't even get everybody in one picture. I had to capture it all with a video from a little crazy chain link fence that I <laughs> yeah. climbed up, was which, crazy. Was, which was dicey. But it was it was awesome, encouraging. It reminded me that if we're going to change things with clean sport, it's going to have to be because the fans demand it. Yeah. And so we're we're starting something that's that's going to keep growing. And that's really, really cool. So let's talk about the cheering part and the overall vibes of that. I mean, the Atlanta track club just did an amazing job all weekend. Everything it seems was impeccably organized from logistics to the support to all the events that were happening around the weekend. I mean, it was just, it was truly unbelievable for you. Obviously this time you were looking at it from a different vantage point. How did it compare to your experiences from 2012 and 2016? Uh, I mean, it was totally different, but, um, you know, when you're racing, you know, if it's going well and you know, if it's going bad and, um, you know, when you're a spectator, you're just like, keep hoping, you know, you like keep hoping for your favorites that they're just, oh, they're just waiting or, um, you know, it's just, it's was so much like I cried so much. It was crazy. Like 
in fact, my old agent texted me and was like, Hey, I heard you were crying really hard by yourself on a side street today. Like, I just want to make sure you're okay. And I was like, Oh no, I'm fine. It's just like all the feels, you know, like when I first saw the women run by about a quarter mile into the race, I started crying and, um, but not a ton. But then when I saw them at like mile eight, I really started crying super hard. And it was like a mixture of, um, it's so amazing to see like what depth we have in American distance running. And it was also a little bit of sadness that that part of my life is done. Um, it just was, it just hit me so hard. It was crazy. Uh, but then, you know, just like every time they ran by, like the surge of emotion would come through again, but it was so exciting. And we were, we had stoked out a pretty good spot. Like we saw them start. And then <clears throat> I went to where the Wazelle corner was, which was like two full blocks of women losing their minds every time people <laughs> ran by. And, um, and then I, I had a finish line pass. So I was able to run and then catch the actual finish line. So I saw them probably like eight times, which I thought was pretty good for a marathon because I'm used to like my mom and family just seeing me at the finish, you know? Yeah. 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 It was crazy. And all the participants talked about how the crowds were just insane lining the streets. I was, I came down to Cowbell Corner where you guys were at 4th and Peachtree and then had to escape it because it was too crazy right there. So I went down a little bit so I could actually get a space on the curb at 5th and Peachtree. But the streets were just lined with people. The participants talked about it being a scream tunnel the entire time, with the exception of maybe the additional loop at the end where they were adding some miles right before the finish. But just unbelievable support for every from everybody out there. And it was just really cool to see that. I was in Houston in 2012, and it was like that in pockets of the course, but not the entire loop. No, not at all. I mean, I remember Houston feeling so chill because I mean, down in the downtown area where we looped around there, it was really loud and really crazy. But out on the loop, I was so quiet. In fact, my husband and my coach were like on elliptigos. And (laughs) I I saw them so often and like they were by themselves, you know, like on the side. And it was really, for me, it was really calming because it felt more like a hard workout. Um, because I was hearing my coach so much and I don't know how any coach could have like given their athletes information on, on Saturday. Like Emma Coburn was texting me and she was like, tell earth me to tuck in the pack. And I'm like, she's never going to hear me. Right. <laughs> I'll tell her, but like, she's not going to hear me, you know? So I'd like wiggle my way to the curb. I'd use my like Olympian token to get my way to the curb. And then I would try to yell, but like, I mean, there's no way she was no. hearing me. Yeah, no, no, there was no way. Like nobody can hear anything. I mean, it was even hard to pick people out of the crowd um, just to see, you know, who you were cheering for. And when I got a pretty good picture of the women coming by, not the first time, but when they came back and we were right there at Cowboy Corner was like right before eight. And then you'd see them again coming back at 10, just past 10. And then, um, sorry, it was at two and then four and then eight and 10. And it was like, there's, fast women as far as the eye could see and then the way the races were set up with the men and women going off at different times they would they were always coming by sometimes at the same time on opposite sides of the street so as a spectator it was exhilarating just it was because it was non-stop action you're always seeing that next group and people were going crazy and it wasn't until the last time through the you know i saw them 
coming back at like 20 and a half. Some of my athletes, what was I able to actually see them and they see me because before that it was just, it was just too crazy, but in a good, in a good way, although, you know, Kipiego and Seidel, they both talked about having to manage their emotions a little bit as competitors because of that energy. Yeah. So just so cool. And I felt, I felt like the Atlanta track club did a great job showcasing it, but I also think with all the people in the field and the coverage, you know, this time around, if I think about 2016 versus 2020, you know, podcasts like mine, like Lindsay Hine, like Ali on the run, all these people that are telling stories, fast women, they didn't exist. Right. And now they exist and everybody's telling these stories in ways that if you're a real fan, you can dig in on because the mainstream media maybe isn't getting the stories, but the rest of us are. And it's just, I think it's making a difference in drawing people in. Oh, for sure. I feel like you know stories of these people so much better. And, um, you know, you 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 become emotionally invested in a stranger, essentially. Uh, so it was really cool. I mean, it was insane. Like, the, even just like random people just like crying and um, because they were just like feeling it, you know, and it was just really, really powerful. And I'm really glad that I was worried about going, you know, it was my first time in 20 years at an Olympic trials that I wasn't racing at. I started racing the Olympic trials in 2000. So I just was like a little nervous of like, how's this going to feel? Like, is it going to, you know, am I going to like regret going? Am I going to like question my decision to, to not do elite competition anymore? Um, But I'm so glad I went. Like it was just so awesome. Yeah. And then the post party. Oh yeah. (laughs) Vibes were nuts. I mean, I <laughs> I had to go back. I finally ate lunch, I think, at 3.30 or 4 um, after, you know, cheering because the races started at noon. And so I got some food in me and I had to take a nap because I was exhausted emotionally and just from all the energy spent cheering. And then, you know, and we had a couple of meetups for rogues and then I went to the Wazell party, but it was like, all right, I got a rally. You know? yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like getting my hair and makeup done for the Wazell fashion show. And I was sitting there and I was like, I could fall asleep right now. Like it would be so easy to just like fall asleep right now. And I didn't run, you know? Um, yeah. but then of course I rallied. I always do. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we rallied and the Wazell party was awesome. It was great to see. <laughs> Oh, there were a lot of great elements to that, but but just seeing all the Wazell women up there at the beginning before the fashion show, the ones that had raced, that that was cool because to me, it, you know, those are the stories. I mean, we talk a lot about the the races at the front, and we'll get to that in a second. But you know, there were about 460 women that lined up, 230 men, and you know, close to 700 people, 700 stories, all important stories. And yeah, a lot of them didn't really have a chance of making an Olympic team, but still were doing something big for them on the day. And so I felt like Wazell did a good job celebrating that for the Wazell athletes that were in the field. Yeah. It was really cool to see. It was, I mean, it was, you know, there's a lot of talk of like, should the standard get harder? Is that too many people? But I'm not gonna, I don't really want to weigh into that, but I will say like, having that many people and their loved ones and it just elevated the sport. It just did. And it was an incredible experience. And the reality is there was only about 15 women that were going to make that team or 15 men that really had a chance. 
And, but that doesn't make the other people's experience any less important, you know, like they all sacrificed and all had to like train hard to be there. And it was, I mean, that was one of the things that really choked me up the first time they ran by this giant wall of women. Mm. And it was just incredible to see that because it, and they were all together, you know, and it's like at a, at a regular marathon, everyone's so spread out and the elite fields are so small. So to just see this huge wall of women come by was just like, damn, <laughs> it was really powerful. Yeah, it was cool. The day was a tough one, good temperatures, but the wind, man, the wind was tough. I mean, standing there spectating, I was getting blown over at times. There was stuff getting blown all over the place. It was kind of tunneling in different directions downtown, even though it was coming from the north. You could kind of feel it almost from all sides at various points, and that made it tough on the day. And I remember thinking as we were lining up, waiting for the you know, the first runners to come by that there would probably be some chaos, some fireworks in the field because of that wind. And it did seem like that that proved to be the case. I mean, all of these six athletes that made the team were legit athletes, but, you know, five of the six probably wouldn't have been in the, the top five favorites on each side as, as the pundits talked about it pre-race. So lots of chaos on a tough and windy hilly course yeah i mean i think at the beginning they seem to be like such big packs right like you saw them multiple times it didn't there didn't seem to be a lot going on i mean there was an early breakaway in the men's race um but the main athletes like just sort of stayed together and slowly reeled that athlete back in um but it did seem like when it went it went like it went you know around 20 miles for the women's race and similarly for the men's and then it was just total carnage it was just like it was it was so hard to watch because they've been just battling this super hilly course and like you said insane windstorm and then you know like someone made a break and it was like if you couldn't if you just didn't have it it was sort of like what's your motivation to continue right it was just like people dropping out super late in the race people just like slowing down so much. And I mean, like I've been there, I know how freaking awful that is. And, um, so there was people that did finish that I was really impressed by that had a lot of pressure on them. And there was people that didn't finish that. I totally understood why they didn't finish. And it it was just pandemonium. Yeah. You could make a really good Olympic team with some DNFs Yeah, from, from both of these races. Let's talk about the men's race for a second. We had Rupp, many Many picked him as the pre-race favorite and the most likely to get first, and he delivered on that, really starting to push the pace at 15, 16 or so, where he started to get a gap. And then behind him, you know, as you said, total carnage. I felt like the men's race in particular had a little bit more carnage early on. Jacob Bradley got second. Abdi Apmarafman, who's now a five-time Olympian at 43 years old, uh, rounded out the top three, but it was exciting because it came down to the last finishing straight and only four seconds separated those last three guys, including including Leonard Career, who ended up in fourth. I don't know. It's hard to talk about the men's race to me without talking about the shoes because the top five athletes were all wearing the Vaporfly or the Alpha Fly, and the times on this course, 209, 210 to make the team with that wind just seem out of this world. I know Ben Rosario 
was talking about it in his interview afterwards. And he said, Hey, you know, if, if you told me that Scott Fobble was going to run 212 and beat Jared Ward, I would have thought he would have made an Olympic team, but he ended up 12th place. So kind of nuts, <laughs> kind of nuts. He's like, I don't know what to make of this. I don't really know what to make of it. Everybody kind of expected Rupp to win. And he did. Jacob Riley, an unknown of sorts, you know, but, you know, had a solid seed coming in, but unsponsored athlete, chose to wear the Alpha Fly. It paid off for him. And Abdi, 43 years old, now the oldest runner to ever make an Olympic team. Track and field. In track and field, yeah. And second, people keep saying he's the only five-time Olympian. He's actually the second five-time Olympian (laughs) in track and field because Francis LeRoux-Smith did that in 1992. What do you make of this men's race? Um, it's, I mean, the first place I was expecting, um, I was shocked at when I saw him come by how fast he was running late in the race and how hard he was powering on the uphill. Um, but I was expecting him to win. I I think that if we remove emotion and we look strictly at you know, results history. He's a two-time medalist, Olympic medalist. He's a major marathon winner. And I just thought that that was, you know, unless something went crazy wrong, he was going to be, he was going to win. Um, I was surprised that Jacob Riley got second, but I got to tell you, I train at the same time I'm in and rally. And so it's super, super excited for him. And I got to see him yesterday on Sunday after the race. And he was just so excited. So, and I know he's been through like a really, really difficult, challenging three years. So seeing that was really, really cool. And, you know, that, you know, I I think everybody knows I'm not a fan of the alpha fly. Um, but I also feel like, and I think Jacob Riley said this in the press conference, like at this point, if you don't wear something like that, you're at a disadvantage. And so, you know, he is, gives the, has the opportunity to wear it. What's he supposed to do? Just like, so, um, I'm not, you know, I'm, it is what it is. And Abdi, you know, can, that surprised me. Um, I'm not going to lie. I did not see that coming. And I feel like Abdi, I don't really, I always forget he's there, but then every four years he comes out and makes an Olympic team. So that was surprising to me. Um, and then I felt a little bad for Leonard career just cause he was so close, but one of those four guys wasn't going to make it. You know, I thought that them having to sprint in <laughs> was like a great for the fans, but like so cruel to them after, <laughs> you know, that course and that wind. Um, but it was pretty exciting to see Jacob, you know, clinch that spot for, for me personally. Yeah. Lee Troop, his coach there in Boulder. Both those guys have great stories. Riley and Rob both had Achilles surgery. They both have Haglund's deformity. And so had that Achilles surgery to get that fixed and then had to come back from it, which I think involves a really rigorous rehab process that I think starts with three months of on crutches. And that happened for both of them in 2018. So for both of them to be healthy and get one, two is really impressive. And, and Riley, you know, his story as an unsponsored runner, to be able to do that, hopefully he's got people beating down his door now to uh, to sign him up. It's just, it's cool. I mean, it's it's what it's all about. The way we select our Olympic team is that anybody can do it. Yeah. The, um, I, I was surprised to see Rupp go so early. You know, he made his move, they kind of said, between 15 and 16, where he started to put pressure on the pack. 
and then things quickly broke up. He had a little chase pack with Abdi Career. Augustus Mayo ended up fifth. Riley actually dropped back a little bit. He was running. Jared Ward said he was running with him and Tyler Pennell, and they were about 40 seconds back at one point. So Riley actually had to make a move to get back up to that second group, and he was able to do that late in the race, which is super impressive to be able to come back on that course on that kind of day, especially because that meant he probably would have taken the wind on his own for a bit to close that gap. And then a sprint finish, the closest Olympic trials for the men since 72. When, uh, when a guy named Jeff Galloway ended up fourth. So pretty, pretty crazy to think that four seconds separated those two spots. Oh, it just, it was crazy. And you're right. Like I, when they, the last time I saw them before I headed to the finish, I didn't even see Jacob Riley. Like I, I like texted Adam, it's going to be, um, it's going to be rough career and you're not going to believe this Abdi's going to make it and Adam was like what you know but then by the time I got to the finish Jacob was like freaking hauling ass down that home stretch so yeah it was wild it was just like it's so crazy how sometimes when you see your dream is within reach you know it just makes me it makes me think of when I won the medal back in 07 it was like such so far-fetched but then as it came down to it I just had to go for it no matter if it meant I was going to like literally fall over and die before I hit the line and I felt like that's what Jacob did he just was like his dream was like right there for the taking and he totally went for it yeah he talked in his post-race interview about his mantra for the day which was no next time yeah (laughs) basically there may not be another chance you got to take advantage of it right now and and he did that, and it was cool to see him pump his fist at the finish. He had picked up an American flag somewhere in that finishing straight <laughs> and crossed the line pumping that and uh, got second there. Really, really cool to see. Also got to give a shout-out to Martin Hahir, who finished sixth from the Boston Reebok Track Club. That that guy's in med school. <laughs> and Uh-oh somehow you know still showing up finishing sixth in a really impressive time i think a pr for him so that's amazing and then you know the other favorites that we talked about jared ward ended up 27th 215 and scott fobble 12th and 212 i saw jared's interview post-race and as always he was a class act but he just said his legs didn't have it on the day he said he had heavy quads pretty early on and just couldn't couldn't respond when he needed to and said he considered dropping out but then thought about his kids at the finish and wanted to uh you know to finish for them essentially which is which is totally jared ward yeah right that's him in a nutshell (laughs) that's why we love him right yeah Yeah. exactly but crazy i mean I i feel like we jinxed him a little bit um, I know we were so <laughs> confident for him. Damn it, Chris. We yeah, ruined him. I know. I know. <laughs> we, and he was confident too. I mean, he said he thought he had a 70% chance and maybe he did. And this was just the one third chance was this day that just didn't quite work out for him. And he said he had the best buildup he's ever had and came in really confident. And then it just didn't go his way, which I think is just sort of the marathon, you know? Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say is that that is the heartache of the marathon. It's like everything can go so well, but we've all had great training blocks where we have like a stinker of a workout here and there where we're like, I don't know what just happened today, but 
look at my overall body of work is amazing. And that's what's so hard about the marathon is you have a day like that. And it's like so much went into it and he can't go out on Monday and prove that he should have made the team. And so it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but again, he handled it great as he always does. So he'll be back. Yeah. He will. And he said that <laughs> I think he joked in the, in the, his interview that he, that Abdi has a decade and a half on him. I'm not sure if that's, <laughs> if that's exactly true, but he's like, I got a lot of years left if Abdi is uh, any proof. So he will be back and no doubt strong. We already mentioned Fobble. We got to talk about Jim Walmsley, you know, ultra guy had never run a road marathon, finishes 22nd and 215, actually beats Jared Ward. I mean, I gave him zero chance of making an Olympic team, but you got to give him props for going out and running really, really well in his first marathon on the road and getting top 25. So hats off to the ultra guys. I'm sure the ultra community is super excited about that. Yeah, that was it. It was a great race for him. And I mean, I thought with those horrible conditions, I thought, well, this is actually good for him because he's used to suffering. Um, So now I'm like, you should probably like go run a flat marathon in good weather because you could probably run a lot faster. (laughs) True. (laughs) True, Especially now that he knows what he's dealing with, because as you know, these are very different sports, ultra running and road marathoning. So, so that's, that's the men's race. Rupp, Riley, and Abdi will represent us in Tokyo, assuming there is a Tokyo marathon or Olympic marathon. Fingers crossed that coronavirus doesn't, doesn't get in the way of that. Let's talk about the women's race. So many things. So many things to talk about <laughs> here. I mean, I could probably spend a whole day talking about this women's race. Alephine Tuliamuk wins from Hoka. NAZ Elite team, Molly Seidel second, Sally Kipiego third. So many good stories here. Dez, an agonizing fourth. Laura Thweet, who you know, fifth. Steph Bruce, sixth. I mean, this this top three to me, there are no surprises there in terms of the caliber of women there. But, you know, none of these top three were really in, in people's picks, you know, to, to be top three. And so there are, there's, I guess, a little bit of a surprise there, but still so much talent in this group. Olafine's story is amazing. Naturalized U.S. citizen now, Kenyan born. Dealt with a formal stress fracture not too long ago. You know, that's affected a lot of her builds up to races and never really put it all together in a marathon in a way that I think represents her talent, but certainly did on this day. And her and Molly just set the tone from about, Mile 18 to 20, they started to to put some pressure on the pack. And then when we saw them again at 20, things had started to separate quickly. What do you think of the women's race overall? Oh, I mean, I thought it, I thought it was awesome, but I I would, I felt bad for a lot of the pre-race favorites. So I felt like dealt with a lot of that media hype. Um, And I think that was one slight advantage that Alphine and, um, Molly and Sally had is that they didn't have a lot of that hype train um, leading into it, but they all executed perfectly. And, you know, I, I knew Sally Kipiego is so talented. And what I hadn't realized until about a week before the Olympic trials was that I knew she had her daughter and then I knew she was struggling and, and she ran a great marathon this past fall, but I hadn't realized that in that period when she was struggling, that she had had malaria 
and had had some serious, serious illness. So mm. I, you know, the week before I thought, oh, geez, if I could redo my picks, I'd probably put her in there because I think she's a super talented athlete. Um, but, you know, Alphine, we've, everyone's been saying that like a race is coming for her. It's coming, you know? And then Molly Seidel is just a natural talent. I mean, she's been, she's dominated at every level she's participated in. She was a high school national champion. She was a collegiate national champion. And she's had a lot of, um, you know, like physical and mental struggles, but she is obviously just like such a talent. She has such a pump and like she is supposed to be a runner. And so I never would have picked those three women, but I never, if someone would have mentioned any of them, I would have said they all had a really good chance. Yeah. Yeah. And Molly doing it in her debut marathon. I mean, that to me it's is just so crazy. crazy. It's crazy. so crazy. Yeah. She did. I mean, she was running miles and distance. She never run before doing it fearlessly. And, you know, I think some of that is, I don't want to say beginner's luck, but because there's no luck involved at all. But, you know, when you don't know what to expect, maybe there is some advantage there because you can just go in kind of fearlessly. Yeah, I think there's some. I mean, it, it's could It's either way. Right. Like, I think there is some advantage. Like the first time I ran a half, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just clipping off these crazy miles. And I didn't panic because I had never been in that hurt cave that I was in at mile 12, you know. Um, and so I didn't know that was coming. I just was like, what? I feel fine. This feels slow. So I think there is some like good in not knowing and never having hit the wall and all that stuff. But also like, you don't know, right? And you're like, the fact that she was pressing, I think is what's the most impressive to me is that she could have just sat behind, sat behind, sat behind, and she started to press. And that to me says like, yeah she's going to be good. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't willing to just like sit there and go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still here. She was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this team. And so I think that says a lot about her and um, it's wild, but it's, it's so amazing. And it's really makes it exciting. Like what is she capable of? For sure. She did say having Alphine there helped her because they know each other some from, from training runs and Flagstaff. And so having a familiar face next to her they seem to be working together a little bit at the end which i think helped propel them both but they were clearly the two of them the class of the field as everything else became carnage behind them and it kind of became a, a, a war of attrition and who could die the least <laughs> and and uh kipiego ended up with the third spot but you know had it been a, lo a mile longer 27.2 miles then des may have been able to sneak in there because you know those those last runners it was just a matter of you know who could get the line first and suffer the best sally's story is an interesting one olympian for kenya previously where she earned a silver medal in the 10,000 came a naturalized us citizen has lived here for 15 years amazing pedigree i think she and susie favor hamilton hold the record for the most ncaa titles for women so just unbelievably talented but had a really tough pregnancy coming back from that it took her it took her a couple of years to really work back and it's good to see her back on top of her game because she's just such a bright spirit as you know, i've been able to talk with her a little bit myself and um 
I'm happy. I'm happy for her that she was able to get back to this point. Yeah, I'm really happy for her. She's a great person and a great competitor and like a compassionate competitor. Like she, you, you almost don't want to race her because she's so fast, but she's going to like warm up with you and cool down with you and, and, and be your friend every other moment. So <clears throat> I was really happy for her. Um, I was happy for all three of the women. I mean, I was like crying for every single one of them. I was trying to video it and it was like so stupid. It was like, <laughs> just like shaking at me, yelling and, <clears throat> but you know, I was still pretty bummed for other women, but like it, that was inevitable. And I kept right. telling myself that like, I, there were so many people I was emotionally invested in and I was like, only three can go and I'm emotionally invested in 12 people. So like, I'm going to feel really sad for a lot of people. And that's kind of how I felt. I felt so happy when I saw Alafino and so happy for Molly and so genuinely happy for Sally. And then at, from that moment on, I felt sad. <laughs> yeah. Tough. yeah. Tough. Yeah. Some of the sadness for Steph Bruce, Kellen Taylor. Yeah. I think the moment for me watching the, at least the finish, I was able to tuck into a bar and watch the finish from my view spot and seeing Alphine hugging Steph Bruce and Kellen Taylor as they came across in sixth and eighth to me, was one of the coolest moments of yeah, that was great. the whole thing because they were all emotional together, clearly happy that their teammate made it, even if they didn't quite get there. And it was just, it was cool to see. Yeah, that women, was great. Yeah, women supporting each other. And it was clear that even though Kellen and Steph didn't make it, that they, they, there was great consolation in one of their team mates being there. And that's Ben's first Olympian, Ben Rosario, first Olympian for that group in AZ Elite, which is really, really cool because of the stuff that they're doing and the way that they do it. Steph and Kellen will have a chance in the 10K, so don't sleep on them for that. Yeah, the 10K just got a lot harder. <laughs> it did. I mean, it think about did. it. Like, it, Molly Huddle, Emily Sisson, I wonder if Sarah Hall will do it. She should. I wonder right. if Jordan will do it. She should. Steph has so much speed. Kellen got fourth four years ago, and it's just like, holy crap. Laura Thweet is a great 10K runner. So the 10K just was like – it's going to be like the Olympic trials marathon all over again. There's going to be like 10 women that can make it. Yep. Yep. So Des fourth place, uh, the worst spot, as you know, from 2016, she just ran out of real estate, was, was closing, just couldn't quite get to Kibiego. You got to talk with her a little bit afterwards. How do you feel for Des? Uh, I mean, I feel really bad for her, you know, I mean, she, you know, I went without with her that night and she was frustrated but trying to be positive. And I ran with her the next morning. It was a little bit more realistic. And I think, you know, one thing she said that was really interesting to me was that that little loop at the end uh, was really quiet. And she wished that that had been at the beginning because that little add-on loop was really dead. And then when mm -hmm. they came out of that, then it got super loud again. And she start, sort of like found a reason to push forward. And um, she was like, you know, wondering if maybe there had been more like crowd support there, if maybe she had pushed, she would have pushed earlier. But I mean, that's what you do when you get fourth is you, right, you, you question like, everything. bring everything. I mean, and she'll do it for a while. And it's just, it's just a crappy position. And I mean, I, it took me like six months. I would constantly relive that race and think, where could I have gotten a little bit more time? And where did I mess up? And um, she was a lot closer to third than I was. So I think that's going to, 
that's going to be a tough one for her, but um, it doesn't, you know, she's already a two-time Olympian. She's a major marathon winner, but it still hurts. And um, she, she did run great, but it didn't get her what she wants. So I think she's, she's sad, but she's genuinely happy for the women in front of her. And she, um, you know, she just, she ran her best on that day. And unfortunately it just didn't work out. 11 second short, sadly. Ugh. You know, I think Laura Thweet, you know, obviously a pedigreed runner, but not somebody I would have picked for the top five. She ran a great race. She ran That's so absolutely great so race. Great. And she actually even had an injury a few weeks out and um couldn't like get some of her last sort of workouts in. And it's just like crazy. Like she just went for it and it was so funny because yeah, Emma was texting me like, "Tell her to tuck behind." Like, why is she? She doing was leading. Work? She was she led for like ten miles. And she, I mean, she ran so well. And I know I didn't see her after Shanna saw her after, and she was very disappointed. But I hope she takes that and channels it into the ten k because I just think she's super talented, and and I think because of her injury history, she's often overlooked, but. Um, you know, she's very, very talented and, and she has what it takes to, to make an Olympic team for sure. Yeah. Great to see her there running. Well, shows the Joe can be a marathon coach too. Joe can do it all. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> Joe Bossard, her coach. So, and then, you know, other, another favorite didn't have the day she wanted Jordan to say she did, she did finish. Mm -hmm. but but did not you know she was kind of out of it starting about mile 12 I think which was the fourth time we saw them at where we were standing and had started to fall back there I give her a ton of credit for finishing because yeah. she was not in this race you know really from halfway in and you know was very very emotional in her post-race interview talking about some of her hamstring issues that's still been bothering her and then a back issue that she's been dealing with more recently. She's so talented. Didn't have the day she wanted. That's tough to see, but I give her a lot of credit for just getting to the finish line. I, I you know I do too. And I actually uh, flew on the flight home next to her yesterday. And that's what I told her. I just said, I know you, you know, I know you wanted to make that team, but you, you finishing that race showed a lot of heart and it would have been super easy for you to drop out. And it just really, it showed a lot of, for me personally, I thought that showed a lot of heart. So um, she's obviously very talented. I think she's, this, I think she's the second fastest American ever. So she's uber talented and she, I think she just needs to, you know, give her body a break and, and get healthy. And I'm sure we'll see her back out there. Yeah, and then, you know, Molly Huddle, Emily Sisson, two of the favorites, Sarah Hall, didn't finish. Both, I think, Molly and Emily dropped out about mile 22. Sarah about 23. They had kind of fallen back and were clearly not in the mix by, by the time they were dropping out. I know that Molly talked about, you know, that being something she discussed with her coach. Ray Tracy, if she was out of it, to save her legs for the 10K. And I'm assuming Emily, with the same coach, had the same thought process so that they can go make that team, which, you know, they'll be probably the top two favorites right away. But still, 
so hard to see them drop Sarah Hall too, just because so they're so talented. I mean, if those if you told me those three athletes, Hall, <laughs> you know, Sisson and, and Huddle were our Olympic team, then I'd be like, that's amazing. Let's let's go. <laughs> you know, like they could they could win a medal or something. So it's tough to see when it just doesn't pan out for somebody. I think that that just shows you, though, how hard it is to always be on top. And, you know, it it really makes you see um, that everybody has good days and everybody has bad days. And those few athletes who are always on top are probably not doing it the right way. And, like, Molly Huddle is one of the most decorated athletes ever. Emily Sisson is one of the greatest hopes we have Sarah Hall, her last year was insane how consistently well she was running. And yet they just didn't have it on that day. And I think that it totally blows and I feel super bad for them. And I I just, I'm sure that they're having rough days right now, but I do think it shows how, like, I think when we interviewed Jared Ward for clean sport and he said, it's such a fragile experience. It's so fragile and so hard and you just never know what's going to happen on that day. And I think that shows it. I mean, these are three women that, you know, had every right to make that team, had the pedigree, had the training, had the performances, and it just wasn't going to happen on that day. And it's a tough pill to swallow, but it shows just how hard it is to always nail it and how deep the American field is. So deep, so, so deep. deep. And I think, you know, the the six athletes that we will send, you know, have all had ups and downs too. So it just goes to show you that, you know, you, your your down day will be somebody else's up day and then it'll flip at some point and you know and your up day will be somebody else's down day so you just got to keep keep working and you know as you said that 10k team i mean it's going to be crazy it's going to be so so tough to make that team in Eugene i was joking this summer that i was going to get back into 10k shape because i felt like people weren't running it aggressively and now i'm like oh my god no way <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was yeah. like, I mean, I knew I was I knew I was out of my league when I even said that last year, but um now I'm definitely like, oh, I never should have said that. I feel like an asshole now. Because that 10K <laughs> team is gonna be crazy. It's gonna be yeah. crazy. Yeah, and originally I thought I thought surely by that point, you know, there will be some of those athletes that may end up making both teams and then opt not to run in both. And so that could open it up for more people, but that's not going to be the case. Like your top three in that team will all be going to the Olympics in the 10 K because, because they missed it in the marathon perhaps. And um, that's going to be fun to watch. I will, I will be there in the stands excited about it. So yeah, just an amazing, and I think you said at the depth, you know, really on both sides, but especially the women's side, it's just unbelievable right now. And there's so much to be hopeful about for the future because, you know, a lot of these athletes who didn't make it are still young. Some of these athletes that did make it are still young and will still be pushing for many years to come. So we have a lot to be excited about as American fans. I also yeah. want to talk about some of the cool stories in the rest of the field because there are so many and really, you know, there's probably a cool story to tell about all 690 or so who towed the line, but you know, you just had some really crazy things going on out there that were fun to watch. The 16 year old, I don't know if you saw the 16 year old woman, girl, I don't know. She's a girl. 
Tierney Wolfgram ran a two forty two. Yeah, I know forty two. I know it's crazy. Like she ran two forty two on that day. Like I think that's the thing people like. If you weren't there, like that course was a slow course, and then you add the wind, and it's just like anyone that ran under the Olympic trials qualifying time. I was like, that's crazy, and there were a lot of people that PR'd. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> it's totally it crazy. 16 to be able to go there, all that noise, all that hype, um, and to go and execute a, such a good race was super impressive. Yeah, one of those, Sarah Sellers PR'd. You know, she was the athlete who got second to Des in Boston in 2018. She ended up PRing by a second on this field and for 11th overall. You're like, man, a PR on this field by a second, that's worth, I don't know, two or three minutes, you know? Go give her a flat course and she's going to be somebody to watch. Definitely. So, so you had Tierney, you had two pregnant women, <clears throat> yeah. Rachel Highland, Lauren Philbrook, who were running side by side. They're 27 and 33 weeks pregnant. You know, it takes 40 weeks <laughs> to, to grow a baby. I mean, they're well into that. Just unbelievable. And the fact that they were out there running together was just so cool to see and people were going nuts when they oh were yeah and i love the juxtaposition of them running to show female strength at the same time that we had this crazy race up front and both both images just exuded like female empowerment you know what i mean and yeah. it was just so cool to see them and uh yeah i was like I want to run with them. <laughs> they yeah. are cool chicks. Yeah, it was just really, I thought that was such a cool message and cool that they went out there. I mean, they earned the right to be there and they ran together and it was so empowering to see that. It was awesome. Yeah, it's Stephanie Slakis. She ran a 314, 30 days after giving birth to her child. That's also just unbelievable. It's crazy. I know I was like trying to imagine where I was 30 days out and I was like, I wouldn't be running a 314 marathon. That's for sure. Yeah, totally crazy. We had a couple of rogue athletes out there that I work with, Kate and Sarah. They ran 302, not what they wanted on the day. Kate's a Wazelle athlete. Sarah's six months postpartum. She's an athlete who was actually pregnant and didn't know it when she got her trials standard back in December of 2018. It was cool for me to see them working together on the course, even though they didn't have the days that they wanted time-wise. They were doing it together. Sarah was smiling the, the whole way. She posted, on she, her was. Inst- she posted on her Instagram that every time she smiled, the crowd would roar. So she smiled for 26 <laughs> miles. And she did. Every time I saw her, she was just beaming and you know, she was running with Kate and I think helped lift Kate up, who was having a tougher, a tougher day. And, and then they ended up running stride for stride in the last 10 K finishing side by side. And again, to me, it's kind of a picture of what this whole thing is all about, not just the Olympic trials, but the marathon in general, running in general, it's not just about one person or one individual. It's about all of us together. and you know, lifting each other up in these moments, whether you're on the course or on the sideline. And it's just so, so cool to see. I wish everybody could have been there and felt it. 
Yeah, it really was magical. Like that was the word I kept using to describe it to my husband. I was like, it was just like really magical. Like all the feels, um, you just felt like everything from like pure elation to like desperation and everything in between in it. But it was so like, just it, it'll stay with me. And um, I, you know, a lot of the credit goes to the Atlanta Track Club, but I think, you know, all of those people who put their hearts and dreams on the line, who worked super hard to qualify, they're the reason why it was so amazing because there was just so many people and so many stories and it was just amazing. Yeah. Gives me a lot of hope as yeah. a fan, not just in the power of the sport, but in clean sport and in what people can accomplish and do through the sport, whether they're competing for an Olympic team or not, all of that was on display. And uh, I wish I could bottle it and save it, mm-hmm. and pull it out in those moments where I'm dark and cynical about whatever it may be. Because, and, and I will, in a sense, you know, I will sort of figuratively do that because thinking back on this weekend will be certainly something not easily forgotten. And I feel like I'm still processing it all. Everybody's asking me, how was it? I wasn't, and obviously it was amazing. And even as we talk about it now, I still don't feel like I've fully been able to grasp what we witnessed. So there'll be some more processing, but it was just so, so magical. I think you nailed it with that word. It really was. So that's it, Kara. A good recap. Thanks for jumping on with me. I know. Thanks (laughs) for being my dance floor buddy. (laughs) We got got a little crazy on the Wazelle dance floor and, and, you know, there was some tequila involved. Yeah, maybe once or twice, but it was awesome. (laughs) So fun. And I'm so glad that like I had the clean sport run um, with you because it really turned my weekend around and I got to really just embrace it and enjoy it. So Thanks for being you, Chris. <laughs> well, you too. <laughs> You're, you, well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to say for you, Kara, but you flew the flag for everybody this weekend as somebody that, you know, can only do it in a, in a unique way because of your experience. And that's not something you have to do, but that you choose to do to give back. And it's just, I'm, I love it. I'm a part of it. I want all in on it. Let's keep doing it. (laughs) um, Whatever I can do to help. I'm there. Thanks, Chris. Kara Goucher, everyone. Thanks to her for joining me for that recap. Really appreciate her taking the time. As she said, it was a magical weekend. And if you get a chance to go see one of these in person, whether it be the marathon trials or the track trials, would highly recommend it because it'll, it'll inspire you for years to come for sure. As I wrap this episode, I just wanted to cover off on five quick hit thoughts that I have as an athlete and as a coach coming out of this weekend. Some that we've already touched on a little bit in my recap with Kara, but just want to summarize it, wrap it all together, kind of put a bow on some of the takeaways that I have from this weekend that hopefully you can apply in your own training. I'll go through these fairly quickly because we've touched on a lot of them and I've talked about some of them before. But some good lessons in there. The first is just straightforward, which is that the marathon is hard. It's hard. It's unpredictable. And a lot of times it wins. It wins. And today, or at least in Atlanta on Saturday, it won against a lot of really, really impressive athletes who weren't able to get to the finish line even, including Molly Huddle, Sarah Hall, Emily Sisson, 
Ali Kiefer, all really impressive pedigreed athlete, athletes who have done this before, but just had bad days for whatever reason on the day. And that's going to happen. It's going to happen to them. It's going to happen to us. It's going to happen to anybody who chooses to put themselves out there with the marathon in any way. And you hope that it, it, it never happens, but it just, it does. And, and you can prepare as much as possible for a race and be as ready as you can be. And just sometimes for whatever reason, the marathon wins. And so that's that's a lesson for those that have had bad races that sometimes even the best of us get brought to our knees by the marathon and that's okay all you can do is get back up keep working again and go to it i mean if you think about some of the athletes in this field including galen rupp himself he dnf from chicago back in october and now he's going to another olympics with a victory in the marathon trials just six months or six months or so later so even for him we see that kind of turnaround from one race to the next so that's one lesson the marathon is just hard second lesson as i said is that anybody who's injured going through a rough rough patch had a dnf have hope keep working because your day will come if you keep working and if you look at a lot of these athletes in the field we already talked about rup with his Surgery and DNF in Chicago. Jake Riley also had Achilles surgery. Couldn't walk. Couldn't walk normally. Was on crutches for three months after that. We have Abdi Abnarakman, who, you know, was a Masters athlete that everybody had kind of written off, and now he's the oldest track and field Olympian for the U.S. ever on the women's side. Tolly Muck had a femoral stress fracture. Has had some some marathons that didn't go exactly her way. Kipiego bounced back from pregnancy after a challenging comeback there. And Molly Seidel struggled last summer with a host of issues. And and some people didn't know whether or not she'd be back at the top of the sport. But here she is. So that's the second lesson, which is that no matter what you're going through, injury, bad race, tough time mentally, tough time in your personal life or whatever may be that could be affecting your running, just keep working. Keep working. Keep putting yourself out there because you never know when that will turn and it will turn if you keep showing up as Des says and you'll have that that positive experience you'll have that breakthrough race that PR race that goal achieved if you just keep working and even the best runners have ups and downs and injury just like some of these in this field who are now Olympians so that's the second lesson third lesson is that sometimes when you have less pressure on yourself, you get results and you might surprise yourself. You know, I think if you'd asked Molly Seidel what, what, what were her realistic chances of making an Olympic team before this race, she probably would have given herself pretty low odds given that this was her first marathon. But for that reason, she also had no pressure. She could just go out there. She had nobody saying, Molly Seidel, you should be an Olympian. And so, therefore, she could run free. She could run without pressure. She could take some risks. And if they didn't pay off, they didn't pay off. Nobody would have thought twice about it. But they did pay off. And now she's an Olympian. And while it can be hard to remove pressure from your goal races and and those sort of peak opportunities, I do recommend that sometimes you race here and there in times when you feel like 
there's nothing on the line, but you can just go out and run a hard effort and see what happens. Give yourself those opportunities too, because you never know when that's going to turn into something that could really surprise yourself. So less pressure sometimes equals results. So give yourself those opportunities to race here and there without all of the weight on a given race. Fourth thing, as we get to more training, the last two are more training specific or racing specific, you got to train for the course. I think one theme that all of these athletes that are on Olympic team talked about is how they prepared specifically for this course. Ben Rosario, when he was being interviewed talking about Alphine's race, not only talked about her specific preparation for this course, somebody asked him about how she would prep for Tokyo and he said, I don't know. Got to look at it. Got to look at the course. Got to look at what she might face there and then calibrate my training for her accordingly because he hasn't really taken the time to dig in yet. They were focused on getting to that race first. And it just goes to show you that for marathon training, especially, you have to make sure that your work is course specific. So if you're on a hilly course in your in your goal race, then you got to work on hilly courses in practice you've got a downhill race you got to work on downhill race downhill courses in practice if you have a flat course then you got to work on flat courses because running on flat terrain creates its own challenges because you're using muscles the same way and that's not to say that your training shouldn't be dynamic and have a variety of elements to it but you need to make sure that you're preparing for what the course will provide the challenges associated with that and as as we like to say, you know, what does the race require? You got to figure out what your specific goal race requires from a course terrain standpoint, and you got to train for it accordingly. The last point goes back to racing strategy. If you look at all six of these athletes that are going to be on an Olympic team, they all ran negative splits on the day. Negative splits in marathoning, negative splits in most races beyond a 10k is optimal for your strategy obviously some of that depends on the course but for the most part if all things being equal you should be running faster on the second half of a marathon than the first in order to get the most out of yourself and all of these athletes did it galen rupp was on 211 pace through the halfway finished in 209 olafine tuliamuk was on 229 pace through halfway she finished in 227 and change and all athletes on the podium ran the second half of these races faster than the first they closed well and had good days that is a key for optimizing your marathoning and it doesn't have to be a massive negative split necessarily but a negative split generally is optimal for your race strategy i've talked about that before on this podcast and i think it was proven out again in atlanta on this past Saturday. So those are your five quick hit lessons as I walk away from this, in addition to just, as I said, having a lot of hope for our sport because of the energy that I saw this past weekend. I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks to Kara for joining me. Hopefully you picked up on some of that energy, some of that magic from this conversation. You can always check us out at roguerunning.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. And please now, if you can, support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Rogue Running. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next time.